I'm on right now. I don't believe you. That's not six. One plus two plus two plus one. You really are crazy. Well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. Me? No, come on. Don't be crazy. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy, a movie podcast where we delve into the world of cinema and explore what makes certain films good or bad. I'm your host, Zach Rancourt, and every week I bring together other film enthusiasts to analyze, discuss, and dissect some of the most popular and critically acclaimed movies of all time. Whether you're a film buff or just a casual moviegoer, our show is sure to provide you with a fresh perspective and thought-provoking insight into the world of cinema. So grab your popcorn, sit back, and join us as we explore the art of filmmaking and discover what truly makes a movie great. All that I ask is don't be crazy. Welcome, everybody. Uh, I have the honor and privilege to have two wonderful guests on this show. I'm very excited. Uh, back again for maybe her her, her five Pete is is Miss Amanda Jane Stern. Amanda, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. It's awesome to to see you. It's been a while. Um, I it hope your, your your summer's going pretty well for you. Yeah, yeah, it's going well. I. I was on set all of June. Um, and so I just wrapped that and flew to Vegas. And now I'm home. Ooh, Vegas. Wow, fancy. Did you have fun down there? I did. I went to a spa. It was lovely. <laughs> I, I can't really argue with the spa. Although, I don't, I don't think I've ever been to an actual spa. I've been to like a hot tub and I've had a massage. Does that count, I guess? It's probably not the whole experience, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, I went to, I got a massage at a spa, and then I hung out in like the steam room for the rest of the day. Ooh. It was great. I'd say that's pretty good. Um, and then we also have a wonderful guest, first time on the show, but obviously a longtime listener and diehard fan, Miss <laughs> Amy Camp. Amy, how are you? And welcome to the show. Hey, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. Um, so for the listeners, do you kind of want to give a little bit of, you know, who you are, what you do, a little bit of uh, your background and when you got into film? Um, well, uh, I started um, I started and I run the West Sound Film Festival, which is an international film festival that takes place in Bremerton, Washington. Uh, I got into film because my brother is a filmmaker. So I actually... And I'm an organizer, so I always, I've been producing his films, and uh, I was always running around with the props and getting food for the actors and, and acted in some of them myself. So I, uh, I really started enjoying it by working with my brother, and um, I just love it. I love the, uh, the behind-the-scenes side of it, and I really enjoy hearing different people's stories, especially when they're different and out there and everything. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Yeah, and I'm excited about that festival. I unfortunately won't be able to make it because I had some prior plans, but I didn't. When when Amanda sent it to me, I was like, Bremerton has a film festival. That's awesome. Uh, I have friends who live over in Bremerton. Um, sometimes I'll ride my bike from uh, downtown Seattle, just jump on the ferry and ride over there. And it's a it's a lovely ferry ride, and it's a pretty cute town actually. It's it's getting a lot better. So that's awesome that they have a film festival. So, oh yeah. Yeah, and um, I'll uh, I'll let you plug it at the end because I want to hear more about it. So, um, cool. Well, I thank you so much, ladies, for being on this show. Uh, we are going to talk about, about a movie that I have been wanting to talk about for quite a while now because it's been a while since I've seen it. But we are going to discuss Jennifer's Body from 2009. It was directed by Karen Kusama, who did The Invitation, Girl Fight, Destroyer, and then she uh, directed a few episodes of Yellow Jackets, which is a great show. 
Um, it was written by Diablo Cody, who did Juno, Young Adult, and Tully, to name a few. It stars Megan Fox, Amanda Seyfried, Adam Brody, Johnny Simmons, Juno Rinaldi, Chris Pratt for like two seconds, Kyle Gallner, Amy Sedaris, and J.K. Simmons with a terrible, terrible wig. I don't know what is going on with that wig, but it is. <laughs> that one took me a moment. I was like, wait, what? That That's definitely him, yes? He's, What's he's, going on here? He's got a scar and he's got a hook hand. And I'm like, what, what, is this going to pay off? Or like, what? what's going on with this? So very odd, but... I digress. Uh, critically, this movie did not do very well on IMDb. 5.4 out of 10. And on Rotten Tomatoes, it was a 46% on the tomato meter um, with an audience score of 35%. So critics liked it more than the audience. However, this movie came out you know, 14 years ago and I, there has been a resurgence, especially since we've seen a shift in the paradigm of, of filmmaking and social uh, justice issues. And there's been a lot more that we're able to kind of take a step back and observe this movie from you know a different uh, aspect. So that's what I'm excited to talk about. It is streaming on Max. That's where I watched it. Um, I don't know. Uh, did y'all watch it anywhere else or do you own it or? Max. I I actually uh, watched it with a couple of my girlfriends, and uh, one of them one of them had the film, so oh. they brought it over, and it was there. We go. Yeah, that's even better. <laughs> so awesome. Okay, um, so budgetary. This film uh, had a estimated sixteen million dollar budget, and in the U.S. and Canada, it grossed about sixteen point two million. Uh, opening weekend was September twentieth, two thousand nine. It made about six point eight million, and then worldwide, it grossed about thirty one point five million. So successful to a degree but probably not as successful as they wanted it to be especially with the marquee name like megan fox because she was coming off of transformers and various films and then you had diablo cody after her oscar uh winning mm -hmm. run with juno so it probably didn't it probably underperformed i, I would say Couple fun facts. In February 2016, uh, there was an interview with the New York Times, and while trying to illustrate how completely the studio's all-male marketing department misunderstood the point of this movie, director Karen Kusama recalled that one of their marketing ideas was for Megan Fox to do live chats with amateur porn sites. Wow. Kusama said that she begged them to not even mention the idea to Fox because, quote, she will become so dispirited, it was crushing. Um, yeah, that's that's terrible. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, I mean, there's a lot to, to, to unpack with that. Um, the fact that it's obviously all males in, in that uh, industry at 20th Century Fox. Uh, but that's terrible um, to even suggest that is is ridiculous. But 2009, still not an excuse, but it was 2009. Mm hmm. Um, and then, despite mixed critical reception, the film has gained a strong cult following over the years. It even garnered an unofficial musical in 2018. So I did not know that. That's awesome. Amanda, did I've you- I've never heard of that. No. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like that's something- I mean, I'm a, I'm a theater kid from New York. I feel like that's something I should have heard of. Exactly. That's why I was like, huh, okay. Well, I mean, I would love to see a take on this because I think this movie's funny. And so I think that that would be really cool to see the version. It'd be like a Mean Girls musical, right? Like <laughs> a little, little gorier, but yeah. But I also think it's campier than Mean Girls. Yes. So kind of not to say it's as campy as Hairspray, but I think it would lend itself really well to a musical adaptation just because of the level of camp that is already inherent in the movie. Oh my gosh. Do you have a tampon? <laughs> it's like, no, I was like, oh, that's amazing. That was such a good line. <laughs> Guess not. 
So uh, cool. Well, here is a spoiler filled review for anyone who has not seen Jennifer's body. Uh, If you don't want to listen to this, go ahead and skip ahead. Maybe like three minutes. I'll try to read fast. Anita Needy Lesnicki, once an insecure and studious teenager living in the small town of Devil's Kettle, Minnesota, is now a violent mental inmate who narrates the story as a flashback while in solitary confinement. Since childhood, Needy has been best friends with Jennifer Check, a popular and beautiful cheerleader, despite the two having little in common, and Jennifer often mistreats and dominates Needy, who is too in awe of her, of her to stand up for herself. One night, Jennifer takes Needy to a local dive bar to attend a concert by indie rock band Low Shoulder worst name ever a fire engulfs the bar killing several people jennifer in shock from the fire leaves with the band even though needy tells her not to later that evening she appears in needy's kitchen covered in blood and attempts to eat a rotisserie chicken she immediately vomits a trail of black fluid and almost bites needy's neck but retreats and leaves the next morning at school jennifer appears fine and dismisses needy's concerns appearing apathetic to the fire tragedy she seduces the school's football captain and disembowels him Meanwhile, Low Shoulder gains popularity due to their falsely rumored heroism during the fire and offer to make a charity appearance at the school's spring formal. A month later, Jennifer appears sick and listless. She accepts a date with school alternative emo Colin, whom she brutally kills. While Needy and her boyfriend Chip have sex, Needy senses something dreadful has happened. She leaves in a panic and almost runs over Jennifer, who is drenched in blood. Jennifer visits Needy at home, and the two kiss. Jennifer explains that Low Shoulder had taken her into the woods after the bar fire and offered her as a virgin sacrifice to Satan in exchange for fame and fortune. Although the sacrifice was a success, Jennifer was not actually a virgin, so she became permanently possessed. She became hungry, and Ahmet, a foreign exchange student who was thought to have died in the fire, was her first victim. She had intended to eat Needy as well, but left because she could not bring herself to hurt her best friend. When she has eat when she has eaten, she can withstand virtually any injury without pain, healing instantly. Needy goes to the school's library occult section and determines that Jennifer is a succubus who must feed on flesh and can only be killed while she is hungry and weak. Needy tells Chip about Jennifer. He does not believe her, so she breaks up with him in order to protect him. Chip is intercepted by Jennifer on the way to the school dance and lies to him, saying that Needy had been cheating on him with Colin. She takes him to an abandoned pool and begins feeding on him. Needy arrives, and Chip impales Jennifer through the stomach with a pool skimmer. Jennifer escapes, and Chip dies. Angry and heartbroken, Needy breaks into Jennifer's bedroom. The two fight, and Jennifer bites Needy's neck in the struggle. Needy rips Jennifer's half of their best friend's necklace off her neck. Jennifer stops fighting back, and Needy stabs her in the heart with a utility knife, killing her and destroying the demon. Jennifer's mother enters and finds Needy on top of her dead daughter's body. Needy is brought to an asylum. She now manifests some of Jennifer's supernatural powers due to the bite. She escapes the mental facility and hitchhikes a ride, telling the driver she is following a band. In a credit scene, a home video and crime scene photos show the members of Low Shoulder have been murdered in their hotel by Needy. And that is Jennifer's body. So let's just jump right into it. Uh, Megan Fox plays the titular character, Jennifer. And, you know, she, like I was saying before, she had the... um, 2007 with uh, Transformers, I believe it's 2007, might have been before that. Anyhow, uh, she was being typecast in Hollywood as the quote-unquote hot girl. Um, A 2018 Vox article stated, and I quote, In 2009, fresh off her Oscar win for Juno's screenplay, Diablo Cody was considered a gimmicky one-hit wonder who was way too uh, precious with her made-up slang, and Megan Fox was considered a vapid Maxim cover girl, best qualified to wash a car in a bikini in the Transformers movies. 
this is a pretty big bummer for anyone to be typecast this way, in my opinion. So um, what did what did y'all think of Megan Fox's performance in Jennifer's Body? Was it too odd or did she actually do some pretty good stuff? Let's start with Amy. How about you? Um, I thought it was incredible. I really like how she... I mean, let's be honest. We're all a little scared of teenage girls. Teenage girls are their own hoarder category in their own. <laughs> like, so I really, I really liked how she embodied the mean girl, kind of the intense friend, because we've all had that friend during our high school and middle school years that, you know, kind of, you kind, like they said, Needy was in awe of her and would do, would go along with her because she was just excited to be her friend and everything. That could, that with the horror side of it, of having um, her being literally a demon, you know, like this demonic entity, like was just so well done without overplaying one side or the other. She balanced it so well. So I just absolutely love that. I loved how apathetic she could look, but at the same time you would see little glimpses of how she was feeling or little things she would do that would really like let you know what was going on in her head. So I just thought it was incredible. I thought it was very well done. Yeah, you know, and it was it was nuanced and it was I, I really enjoyed it because she did seem like a high school girl and they did have that kind of weird dynamic where, you know, she obviously was in a, in a different echelon than than needy was, but they still were best friends for life. And I mean, just like you said, I, I have I had friends like that in high school, too. And it's like, why are they my friend? Oh, we've been friends since childhood. But even though we were in completely different social groups, but, you know, we still were just really good friends. And I think one thing for me I really liked about this movie was the slang. Some yeah. of the slang was ridiculous at first, but then it kind of I, I caught on to it. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's 2009. It's high school. Even looking at it now, all the Gen Zers, I'm like, wait, what are you saying? Like, <laughs> Bussin I mean, I and no cap and all that. Yeah, yeah. I was in, in high school in 2009. We said stupid shit. Yeah. yeah. We didn't say jello, but we said jelly yeah. for jealous. So it's pretty close. Yeah. Tomato, well, tomato. Only, but Not only that, but by using, I mean, calling somebody who's good looking salty and referring. I mean, she's consistently throughout this referring to them as something to be eaten or mm-hmm. using I, food. I loved that That's double true. entendre. Yes. That was great. Yeah. Cause I, I picked up on that. I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Salty, like tasty, but also, yeah, I thought right, that, that, that was brilliant. Spicy. So spicy, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Amanda? I, yeah, I, I think this is maybe her best performance actually. Um, and I think that's, that's because also she was given a good script to work with and she was playing on, how she was being typecast and kind of getting to flip it on its head and, and turn it around a little bit. And that, you know, it was women writing and directing the piece. And so they knew what they were playing with. And I, I think, you know, part of the issue is the movie came out in 09 and not today where we really are doing these deconstructions. You know, we had promising young woman do really well a couple years ago. And right now we're in this, this kind of phase where we're allowing female filmmakers sometimes to deconstruct the stuff that we've grown up seeing. And this really came out in the middle of all of it. I mean, the early 2000s, that first decade was horrible. How we talked about women, how we talked about thinness and, and being, you know, anything above a size two is like, like when, um, uh, Jessica Simpson was what a size six and got called the worst things. And now you look at the photo that they were railing against her for, and you're like, "What are you talking about? She's tiny," you know. Or, or uh, on what was it? Paris Hilton and um, Nicole Richie was considered the curvy one. 
she's a size zero. (laughs) I'll never be able to to empathize with that, obviously, because I'm a guy. But I it it, it does blow my mind looking at it now and be like, what are you talking about? Why? I don't know. I don't know women's sizes, but I do know that. Yeah, a six is not big. And so it's like, what in what world are we living in? Didn't we learn the lessons from Marilyn Monroe? And weren't weren't they calling her like overweight? And it's like, what are you talking about? Like, so, yeah, it it blows my mind. Um, I'm glad we're we're more aware of it now, but. I love that they they played around with that in this movie too. And one of the cool aspects was so, you know, she uses her sex appeal throughout the movie to to seduce these men who are idiots, you know, quite frankly because he, that football captain, he's like he's he's grieving, he's sad, he's on the field and she just goes over and is like, "Hey, are you okay?" You know, I heard him over saying he he would see us together like we would bang or whatever. And so he just goes, okay, and goes in the woods with her, and then he gets killed. I'm like, you know, it's it's definitely the fuck around and find out culture, but like they play on the fact that we we as guys, because I can say this, we're dumb and we are simple creatures. Um, so I thought that that was so fun that they were able to to mess around with that, and even like Colin, right? So she's like, well, how about you just come over to my house? And he's st- he's driving over there. And then he's down this dark row of houses that looks super ominous, but he's still like, well, I might get some tonight, so I'm still going to go. It's just it's just Colin. Yeah, it's (laughs) it's hilarious because you feel bad, but you're also kind of like, well, maybe you should have had your own wits about you. And I think I think Megan Fox just really pulled it off. And and I, I am bummed that this movie was marketed poorly, which we'll talk about later, but. She mm-hmm. could have had a, I don't want to say a resurgence, but her, her career, the trajectory could have been in a different way and she could have gotten more prestigious roles. And I and I love that, you know, because I do think she should be given a, a second chance, um, like we're seeing a lot in Hollywood. She should be given a chance to kind of shine with like an A24 film, I would probably say to start. But um, I could really see her doing another horror film and just like crushing it. So I, I agree. I was very blown away with her performance now that I was able to pay attention to it. Um, instead of my first go around when I was just like, oh, Megan Fox, right? Now I was like, dude, she crushed it. So yeah, I uh, I really like it. I mean, I have to admit, this was actually a first watch for me. Really? It was, yeah, it was. So it came out when I was a teenager. I was probably the same age as the characters that they were playing when <laughs> the movie came out. And I saw the scene where they make out several times. Um and I'm very excited to talk about the queer stuff in this movie, but that's kind of all I saw. Um, <laughs> and I don't know why I didn't watch it, but I just didn't. Um, so, and it, then it was one of those things I kept meaning to come back to and never got around to it. So when you sent me options and the other two movies that you had listed are things I'd seen so many times. And yes, one day you and I are going to do Roadhouse because <laughs> holy shit, you know how much I love that movie. Oh, but. Yeah. When this was on the list, I figured, you know what? I've never seen it. It's time. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, I'm glad this was your, uh, you know, first viewing of it because I I was glad that this was a reawakening for me and I was able to take off the the horny young Zach vibe <laughs> and, and just look at it from a, a cinephile standpoint and be like, dude, like it's beautifully shot too. Like after she does that first kill and she's swimming in the water, I was like, holy crap, that was awesome. Like it is they gorgeous. Just, they did some really, really awesome work here. So I was I was happy with that. Yeah, I was a Jennifer's body virgin, if you will. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Talk a lot about the, the concept of virginity. <laughs> 
So I think, you know, there are a lot of themes in this uh, film, and I do think that one of the most obvious and empowering themes, in my opinion, uh, of Jennifer's Body is about women exploring their sexuality openly. And, and I'll kind of explain that. So Jennifer just, she loves the way she looks and she's unapologetic for who she is. She freely talks about sex and things that she, she enjoys. For far too long, women in society have just been chastised about talking about sexuality. I know you said Paris Hilton, right? Like remember all the slut shaming Paris Hilton got? Completely undeserved. And it was at a completely terrible time. So I think that, you know, she dealt with that forever. But it was interesting, though, because on the flip side, uh, promiscuity automatically made men like awesome and locker room talk. And, oh, yeah, you know, I I had sex with her, blah, 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 blah. Um, and so for 2009, I loved the aspect of this film where they have Jennifer and she's talking about anal sex and how she had to put peas on her on her legs or whatever after hanging out with Chris Pratt. And like, it's just funny because. I'm like, that's how that's how me and my friends would talk, but not in a terrible way, as terrible as she was saying. But it's like, obviously, it's supposed to be um, satirical in a sense. So I guess, you know, I would say, I, I don't know, this isn't really a question, but I just kind of want to discuss this more with maybe examples and anecdotes from just our previous years. And like I'm saying, you know, I we had locker room talk back in the day, nothing that was incredibly terrible. I was raised pretty right for the most part. Um, but I, I did enjoy that she would freely talk about sex and it wasn't, it wasn't like needy who won't even curse. So that's why I thought that yin and that yang were really neat. But I don't know, am, am I off base here or did you guys, do you guys want to add anything on that? I grew up in the Bible Belt. I grew up in uh, South Carolina. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my uh, mom was actually a children's minister in a mega church. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So um, this whole concept, I didn't see Jennifer's body until um, I think until I think after college, like it was a long time before I saw it. And this was all very taboo. You didn't talk about that sort of thing. Like you didn't refer to your parts as the correct way of referring to him it was like pocketbook or you know like that sort of stuff <laughs> yeah it, it's so i can tell you as someone who was the one who was like oh i can't i can't curse or oh, i can't you definitely start to gravitate as you get older you gravitate towards people who are more open about these sort of things and and i i definitely felt like needy in this movie because um which also how funny is it that that that's what they made her name as so it just makes us immediately like look at her like oh well she's she needs a lot from, you know, like needy. that, that just immediately puts that into your brain. Yeah. Um, when you start watching this movie that she's just, Oh, getting all this stuff, you know, getting all this information from Jennifer. Mm. But um, yeah, I think that that's a very common dynamic in, in friendships where one person is very blunt and open and everything. And the person, other person's more shy and gravitates towards them because they want to be more like that. And they, mm -hmm. they are interested in what they're talking about. And this person says the things that they don't feel comfortable saying. So that was a huge aspect of the film for me. I just, um, I really found that really interesting and I really enjoyed that dynamic. Yeah. And, I and think interestingly, I'm from New York. I grew up in New York. Um, the first time I saw a Rocky Horror Picture Show, I was going into sixth grade. <laughs> um, so <laughs> it's a very different, but watching it, okay. And I'm, I'm only kind of coming around to this realization now that emotionally I feel like I identify more with needy and that internally that's what my mindset was but I postured I guess as a Jennifer 
<laughs> I I was definitely a little I was baldy. I and a lot of it was kind of a way to to cover up other insecurities actually and and to make things make it seem that other things don't bother you when you're that it's like it's the cool girl aesthetic is what she's going for and that was you know we didn't term it that in 2009 but that's what it was and that's definitely what I was doing at the same time too so I talked a lot about sex probably more than I should have because it was like yeah you're not gonna and and part of it was also so that there's nothing a guy could say that that would really phase me because be like I could just turn it right back on you buddy you know um, and I haven't thought about that until literally this moment. But. Yeah. Well, and I think it's important too, and just you know, correct me if I'm wrong. I think it's important for women to celebrate sexuality because for the longest time it was we had those those um, uh, what, dynamics, those roles, and and obviously they were terribly wrong and incorrect. But like women could not wear long skirts for the longest time. I mean, up until the 70s, women couldn't even get their own bank account. And it's 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 just crazy the restrictions we had. And it seems now that we're starting to go backwards on that, which I don't even want to get started on. But like it's I think it's important for women to understand their beauty and their passion. And like everyone loves sex. I don't care who you are. And it's OK to talk about it. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a time and place, you know, probably not in front of a bunch of kids or something like that. But she's in front of her friend. They're having a good time. And she has agency. She knows what she's doing. She's she's aware. She's not just going to give it up to anybody like she is a strong woman. And and I love that. And I think that it's it's highly, highly important. And I, I just think in 2009, it's so against the mold that they had for for women in films, because even I'll go back to Transformers. All she really did in Transformers was run around and she had just these shots that Michael Bay would like light beautifully in the background of her like leaning over in Daisy Dukes. And I'm like, oh, OK, I know what you're trying to do here. I'm not complaining, but I know what you're trying to do here. And it's 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 so cool to see her take on this role and actually be a person a normal person, but also a badass person too, and a beautiful person. And it's, and I think that that's what's so cool about this too, is, you know, it's literally in the title, Jennifer's body. It's about her taking her own agency and just really holding on to that and being like, I'm, I am who I am. That's at least what I picked up off of it. Um, again, I might be off base, but <laughs> it is one, one theme I saw. So I actually think, the biggest theme that I see in this is because I, I know a lot of the re kind of imaginings of it see it almost as like a rape revenge movie. I don't see that. I, I don't. Yeah. It's not. If it were a rape revenge movie, it would be about her specifically getting revenge on that band and the guys who deserve it. It would be we would see her torture them. And I'd be OK with that. That's great. I love that. Um, but that's not this is about like it. It's about a lot. But the way I see it is it's a lot about queer sexual awakening, especially within this toxic female friendship where you have these two girls and you know that they've kissed before. That's not the first time we can play boyfriend and girlfriend like we used to. You know who played the boyfriend. You know who played the girlfriend. <laughs> and the, this has been this. And obviously it's and I'm not going to label either of their sexualities because they are too young and everything that is being thrown at them is so heteronormative at especially at that time and in the early 2000s that was this idea like well if you're a girl and you make out with another girl it doesn't count you know you're just like 
you're just being a cool girl. It's just to turn the guys on. It's just for funsies. It's for practice. So there's so much that's so confusing in the messaging that they have no idea what their sexualities are. They're not straight. That's for sure. Are they bi? Are they pan? Are they lesbians? Who knows? And I, you know, Jennifer's never going to figure that out. But R.I.P. Yeah, but that's that's really like, of course, they're hooking up with guys. Maybe they're into them. Maybe they're not. But that's what they're told is the normal thing to do, you know? So, so much of it is, is especially like Needy's love of Jennifer and how she is drawn to her and attracted to her and does not know, you know, what to do with all those feelings. Like when they're at the concert and Jennifer yeah. takes her hand. She and stares at her mm-hmm. like but longingly. Yeah. And then she sees Jennifer staring at the band like mm-hmm. Gaga and she's hurt, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I think that's really what it's about. It's about that kind of codependent toxic female friendship that happens that starts to break apart when someone is really dating someone else especially when there's that queer element to it and then one starts dating a guy like i had this happen so you know i i know this story and looking back i'm like oh god yeah Mm -hmm. i remember the oh yeah it's just flashbacks Uh (laughs) well that's an awesome segue thank you amanda because yeah i was gonna ask you know like i did notice that i felt like there was definitely some explorations of the queer experience in jennifer's body and so like would you consider this an lgbtq plus film and then why or why Absolutely. not? And Amy, you can jump in as well, uh, too, for just any examples or any types of things you want to discuss for it. But I think that, um, you know, obviously it was a toxic relationship. It wasn't a good one, but that doesn't cancel out the fact it was still. We don't say that, you know, something isn't a romance movie. 500 Days of Summer, that's a very toxic yeah relationship but oh, we're yeah. not like we don't want to classify as a romance or as a, a straight love story it's still a straight love story you know like that's what it is but um yeah i think this is absolutely absolutely a um a lgbtq uh plus film and um i think that it was it was a good way to kind of introduce this to um to maybe a younger audience and everything. And I think they got away with a lot more because it was a bit more of a horror movie and everything. Um, I also, I think this is another movie that, um, you know, you were describing about the scenes with Michael Bay and everything about her bending over and Daisy Dukes and everything. But, you know, there's parts of this where she's swimming naked. Like that scene is absolutely gorgeous, but you don't actually see Mm -hmm. that much of her. And I think it's it's just such a great Mm -hmm. depiction of the male versus female gaze in filmmaking. And... I just, you know, that was just something that really, while we were rewatching it, I was like, I couldn't remember exactly how much nudity was in the film. And I was pleasantly surprised how much they showed, okay, she's very desirable, but we don't have to show all of her to show that. And, you know, how we knew that they cared about each other from the way she was staring at her in the bar and everything. We knew that this wasn't their first time together. You didn't have to explicitly say all these, but you don't have to spoon feed the audience. We can, we can lead you there, you know? It's yeah. a very good about showing, not telling. And Absolutely. I really enjoyed that. I was just and about to say that. Yeah, that's my favorite type of exposition. I would much rather work out the problem myself and be like, oh, okay, there we go. But it, so one thing I picked up on it too, um, basically any time that, because Needy had um, in, in infatuation with Colin, like you could tell there was something there with Colin. She kind of liked him. And as soon as Jennifer picked up on that, then she was like, hey, Colin, let's hang out. And so she basically was getting rid of these guys that Needy liked to get to her. 
and you know because she wanted to get rid of chip she wanted to get rid of colin and she, she wanted needy for herself uh, whatever which way she wanted her it's just i think that we see those that in relationships too like you're saying amanda where there's a lot of that animosity and you're getting back at somebody by going with someone else and so it's it was fascinating but it was a a different type of 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 romance um an exploration. And so I, I liked that. I picked up on it quite easily, actually. So, yeah, I think, and, and it's only something that kind of friendship I've heard women talk about it now over the last couple of years. So I think definitely rewatching it, a lot of women will be able to say, Oh wait, I did have that kind of friendship once more than once. And, and like, and now I can relate to this in a way that maybe I also wasn't ready to admit when the movie came out. Bingo. Yeah. This is, it could be an awakening. Hell yeah. Release <laughs> the, I think they have an extended cut of this too. So oh. we'll have to start. I would watch that. I would I see what they cut. Uh, I did want to let you guys know, I did a bike ride recently. Uh, I live up in Seattle and I did a 205 mile bike ride, Seattle to Portland. It took two days and I rode 205 miles and it was hot. It was like 90 degrees for the majority of it. So it was, it was very hot. I drank a lot of water and I was sweating. Um, you know, when you sweat, you lose all those electrolytes, the potassium and all the essential vitamins needed to keep your body going throughout the day. And I promise you the only way I was able to complete this 205 mile bike ride was because of liquid IV. Uh, liquid IV is great. It's super tasty. You uh, mix the powder in with water and it hydrates you two times faster than just basic water alone. It's that hydration uh, multiplier that you've been missing for your daily routine. Uh, so like I said, in, in one stick, you get five essential vitamins and two times faster hydration than water alone. You can use it first thing in the morning before a workout when you feel run down after a long night out. I mean, because as we get older, it's you know a lot harder to recover from those long nights out and on long flights, too. So I, I love using liquid IV on all my hikes, my bike rides, even when I snowboard, too. Uh, they have 12 delicious, refreshing flavors to keep your hydration routine exciting. You got strawberry, guava. My personal favorite is lemon lime. I just like that basic lemon lime. It's, it's very, very tasty. And they have many, many more. They, again, can contain five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, and vitamin C. Uh, with three times the electrolytes of traditional sports drinks, they are made with premium ingredients, non-GMO, and free from gluten, dairy, and soy. And the best news of all is that as a listener of this show, the Don't Be Crazy podcast, you can get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use promo code DBCRAZYPOD at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop for better hydration today using promo code DBCRAZYPOD at liquidiv.com. Thank you and stay hydrated. Um, and, I mean, another thing, too, that came up in this movie, you know, tragedy, it's, it's no stranger when it comes to the story of Jennifer's body. Uh, obviously, she's sacrificed in a very brutal way. It's a hard scene to watch. Um, I hate that they're singing the Jenny song, the 8675309. It's ridiculous, but <laughs> yeah. Um, specifically, though, there is much exploitation of tragedy, I think, in this movie as a whole. And I think it poses an interesting commentary. So the examples that I saw were the band Low Shoulder. They got famous from the fire and, and sacrificing Jennifer. They used that tragedy to be like, it was a terrible thing, but we're also going to play it a show here, right? And they got famous off of the tragedy. Uh, they even make a nod to, you know, they have a 9-11 shot at this bar that you drink and it's Twin Towers and it's red, white, and blue. People are drink literally drinking it, not, you know, eight years past the actual tragedy. So 
pretty crazy stuff. And then another example, Needy gets the demonic powers after killing her best friend. So that one's a little more subtle, but still there was that tragedy. And, but now she's got powers. So I guess there's that. <laughs> so basically, you know, how do we still how do we still see the exploitation of tragedy performed today uh, in, in, in the real world? And like, what are some examples that you see? Thoughts and prayers. <laughs> exactly. Or what about uh, what Gal Gadot, the Imagine song oh, uh, during COVID? The most cringy uh-huh. thing ever. It's like, we're all in this together, except they're in a yacht and we're in a tiny dinghy yeah. trying mm-hmm. to survive, trying not to die, but also trying not to lose our apartment where they can just go fuck off somewhere else, right? Um, oh, yeah. Like when J-Lo was like, I'm, I'm with all of you. And she was in her mansion that everyone was like, I'm sorry, is that the Parasite house? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, kind of examples like that, I, thoughts and prayers is a, is a good example. Um, anytime that somebody, you know, I see like, let's say Facebook, for example, there could be a tragedy like a bridge collapsing. People will always try to comment about, oh, I, I was there two months ago mm-hmm. or, oh, I was there, you know, just yesterday. They try to make it about themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's the hard thing for me is, is I, I guess I'm like, what do you what do you want to gain from this? And, and how hollow would you feel if you're your fame came from from a tragedy. And obviously low shoulder, they're pieces of shits. So, you know, they get what they deserve. But it is very interesting to even see things like that 9-11 shot where it's I mean, we have a, a drink called an Irish car bomb, which is terrible. Mm-hmm. And they should be they should be done with them. We should be rid of them. But like, when does it end? <laughs> you know, so what other types of examples, Amy? Well, I thought it was really um I thought it was really interesting how they decided who was going to be the one, to, you know, starting the premise of this with it being the band Low Shoulder that this is going to sacrifice uh, Jennifer. Um, I thought that was very interesting pick because I wonder if it's a bit of a commentary about how these bands market to young girls. They mm. market towards underage girls mm. and a lot of them take advantage of their fans. And that is a common thing we see, especially in that demographic of music. They purpose because, you know, who's got disposable income, you know, preteen girls, underage girls, they're, they don't have to worry about rent or, you know, buying food or anything. So this is a, like a common thing that they will purposely market towards underage girls. And then you'll find out a lot of things about them having underage girls in the bus and stuff like that. So I thought that was very interesting that yeah. they chose that as this premise. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. It's true that we hear all those stories. It, it's musicians and what comedians like Chris D'Elia, It's the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That predatory so. nature. Yeah, the mm-hmm. all. Uh, I I don't. I never really liked the All American Rejects, but I had a buddy who went to a show and he's like, "Dude, it was so cringe." They kept saying he kept calling all the girls little girls, like in the show, and I was like, "That's weird. I don't like that." And it reminded me of a time I I saw a show and I don't even remember who the band was, but it was definitely it was like one of the places that was like 16 and above and you could you could drink there, but you have a wristband and whatnot. Mm -hmm. So there were like, you know, 16 year old girls in the front and the guy kept like lifting up his shirt and showing his abs. And I'm like, dude, this is weird. Don't you see how this is problematic? So what you're saying, Amy, totally makes sense because I'm like, oh, yeah, because they probably got dropped off by their parents or they drove Mm -hmm. down together in one car and they, you know, they live at home. So they have disposable income but that's such a weird and gross thing to think about but i guess low shoulder they 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 embody that that terrible terrible you know persona and so it it does make sense but yeah i I thought it was interesting because i i actually had to check and see when this film was made because the band all time low Mm. 
got caught with all that. And I was like, were they like calling these guys out like super early? Oh. So when I saw low shoulder, that was the first thing I thought. And I was like, wow, this, I don't know if art imitates life or life imitates art in that situation, which if the uh, oh, I didn't even chicken hear before about the what egg. happened with that band. I oh mean, yeah, I, guitarist. Great, lovely, wonderful. <laughs> so it, I found that interesting. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I mean, it's not great, but. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it <laughs> is definitely. interesting coincidence. <laughs> it's nothing new. I mean, I'm no. sure it's been happening for forever that, you know, teenage girls are who bands target. That's who their demographic, a lot of them, they want their demographic to be. But that. that I mean, it, it, isn't that basically what all of Almost Famous is? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's like one of my favorite movies. I think there's so many there's so many different themes in that movie, but yes, you're you're right. Like how it, recently have you watched it? Uh last year. I mean, okay. you, you know, when when he's like we do this cuz we want to get, you know, money and we want to get girls basically. And yeah, I, I I got you. And even, you know, uh what's your name from True Blood is in it. She's like 16 in that movie or 17 or something. Uh but yeah, there's there's a lot that goes into it, so I don't know. Maybe we'd have to I'll have to rewatch, rewatch it for you <laughs> with a, a, di- a different a different lens on. Oh um, yeah, yeah. I have to say though, I love because this isn't his only time doing this. That Adam Brody, who obviously became famous, you know, with the OC mm-hmm. playing very nice Jewish boy, um, now just loves playing kind of campy assholes. He did this also. Have you seen um, Ready or Not? Or- or is it ready or not? Yeah, that one. Ready that or one's not. He also yeah. like it's the same. It's like campy asshole. I, I mean, his character in that is actually a better guy significantly than his character in this. But it's still like he's just having fun, um, hamming it up and being these douchebags. It's fun playing a villain. I would. I, he does. He does do a pretty good villain because what the OC. Right. I never watched it, but I mean that's how he got famous. Essentially, or pretty famous. Um, and he definitely was a certain type of character. And so for people to see him like this, it's kind of neat to see the other way around. So I dig it quite a bit. And I mean, and it's from the standpoint of, of Amanda Seyfried too, you know, she was in mean girls. She was one of the mean girls. So she was one of the hot quote unquote, hot popular girls. And then to see her come and play this like timid, more mousy uh, laid back character was like so neat to see because she's great. And I loved it as that. I mean, her even making a bologna sandwich, which is like a fried bologna sandwich on white bread and then dropping a piece of it. That was like so on par for her character. It was awesome. And then just little jokes in there too. Like when Jennifer is having her demonic possession and takes the chicken out, she's like, that's from Boston market. My mom got it from Boston market. Like, <laughs> yeah. You know, just throwing it in there. I'm like, that's, this is great. This is perfect. Cause that is the type of character needy is. Um, but yeah, so, okay, moving on. Well, so many articles, and Amanda, you touched on this earlier, but there are many articles and reviews that claim that this film uh, can be classified as a rape revenge fantasy. Uh, is it though? And in, like, in what ways can or can you not see this? I know, Amanda, you kind of already said no, so go ahead and just uh, yeah. build off of that if you can. I don't see it as a rape revenge fantasy at all. I mean, and I'm not saying that because there is technically no rape, Um you know, and I, I think there's definitely interesting things to talk about with sacrificing a virgin and the fact that because she's not really a virgin, she is still the one punished instead of it, the you know, the sacrifice flipping back on them. But for this to be a rape revenge, I don't think, then I think actually your victim, Jennifer, would be your lead character. She's not. Needy is the lead character. And it, it would be about her 
actually taking vengeance on those who have wronged her, which is not Colin, it's not Chip, it's not the jock whose name I am told, Jonas, you know, yes, they're stupid, <laughs> stupid teenage boys who will follow her anywhere because she looks like that. But if it were really, you know, it would be her systematically taking out each guy, each guy in that band, starting with Dirk, the one who's like, maybe not so into it because you go with the easy one first and leading up to like the final showdown with Adam Brody where she, you know, turns the tables back on him. This isn't about revenge on, on them. You know, at the very end, Needy decides, yeah, I'm going to destroy them. But also revenge, it's about punishment and and sure she murders them but like real revenge would be about tormenting them and making them see everything that they've got taken away from them so that they feel the same thing would it be revenge on i mean and this is a shot in the dark but maybe is the film kind of saying that all men are assholes and bad um i mean because of how like i i alluded to it earlier you know with how easy we're like okay yeah amidst tragedy you're showing a little bit of your boobs so i'm gonna go into the woods with you or you know oh i'm gonna go to this dark house that's clearly not your house because but you I, invited me over like i are think we... that's more teenage boys are horny and stupid that that's, all men are that is true. evil <laughs> that you is know, true I, it's they're just teenage idiots they're all horny even yeah. amanda even needy's horny they all want a bone. It's it just teenagers of rampant hormones. She's so dismissive of them. I feel like a revenge thing, there would be more anger. There would be more like, I'm going to show you why what you're doing is wrong. Like those kind of things, they'd have a whole like, they'd have a whole lot more emotion tied to it. To her, she's like, yeah, I wasn't feeling great because whenever she didn't feed, she felt awful. You, you mm-hmm. saw, and I really like the fact also that I love any actor or actress that isn't afraid to look awful, look ugly on screen, you know? And I really liked that. Um, but she's so, they're just boys. They're just, she has no emotional connection to them. She makes fun of them, but they're just means to an end to her. And I think that that takes away the revenge element. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, for me, I, I was, part of me, I was pissed because I'm like, well, Chip didn't deserve to die because he actually was a good guy. Um, the other ones, so you know, was Colin. Col- Colin was, yeah, he was a good guy. The foreign uh, exchange student. Yeah, the foreign oh, exchange student. Yeah, we who, didn't even know him. Yeah, like I was like, oh, I thought he died in the fire, and then you find out later. Yeah, he didn't do anything. Um, and same thing with the captain, of the football team. Like he wasn't overly gross with with uh, Jennifer. You know, he just talked to her at the bar. She shot him down, and he felt kind of bad. It's not like he was like, hey, baby, or whatever. He did go into the woods with her, which I no, thought was funny. No, those are different guys. Those are different guys. Those were different guys. He was the one that she disembowels is friends with the guy who who was that was Craig who came up to the bar was like, hey, baby, he died. Um, And then the other guy was not there. I thought he was the same. Did Chris no. Pratt, did Chris Pratt die? We never like learned about that. I don't think so, because she does say later I'm like boning a rookie cop that which implies he's still that fire was she saw him. Yeah, she saw him as a get out of jail free card because she's uh, like, yeah, I don't think she killed him. Again, uh, expendable. That's what he is. He's it's it's a means to an end. So I I like that. <laughs> but I, yeah, this is this should be another version of a Bechtel test or whatever. When when they do talk about men, but there's no actual importance placed on them. Like yeah. I just kind of that I thought that that was very interesting. 
that's what I was actually going to ask. I was going to say, do you think this movie would pass or fail the Bechdel test? Which, which I think that test needs, I, I think it needs to be redone in the sense mm-hmm. of like, they need to change up the parameters a bit. But, but I was wondering, cause she's not like dependent on men other than needing them to survive. Cause she's a succubus, but like she's, she's doesn't need them in, in the story. So it's, it's very interesting. But I also think it's doing that intentionally. Like it, it knows what it's, doing with its script Mm -hmm. so i think you can intentionally not pass the test because you are playing with tropes yeah Mm -hmm. well and one thing that's great too uh diablo cody pretty much had carte blanche after juno uh to write something she wanted to do and she always wanted to do a horror film so she's like i want to do a campy horror film and same thing with uh, kusama she was like i want to do a popcorn flick and that's what this is. And I think it's great when a director has that free reign to be like, I'm going to do this. Or a writer is like, I've always wanted to do horror, so I'm going to do this. And I applaud the hell out of that because why not? Like, you can have a ton of fun with it. And I'm a horror fan. I absolutely love uh, when they change things up. And I've never seen a movie like this before. I've seen possession films, but I've never seen it done in a way that's campy, but not overly campy. And from a standpoint of, you know, like the, the main character essentially is Needy, not even Jennifer. Mm-hmm. She's the mm-hmm. titular character, but I'd say Needy is the main character. And it's it's just so interesting. Um, so one thing, too, uh, or another thing, I should say, all the things. I, I, I do think this movie is about how we grow out of friendships. I know we've been talking about, uh, you know, those high school friendships, those childhood friendships. But I think it's about how we grow out of friendships. Uh, we sometimes, unfortunately, outgrow our friends. It is, it's a bummer. I've lost a lot of friends throughout the years just because we are on different trajectories in life, and that's just what happens. I'll always love them. They're always a part of my life, but we outgrow each other. So what are your thoughts on that? I think it absolutely happens. I mean, it, people grow, and people grow in different directions, and it's not always a bad thing. And, you know, sometimes you grow apart, and, you know, maybe every couple of months you see each other instead of, being on the phone every weekend, but I think that's just part of life. And, you know, you just remember the good times. And if something gets to a point where it's hurting you to be friends with somebody, that's, that's time to cut the cord and to remember that, you know, you can be grateful to them for when they were there, when you needed them, but also know that this isn't the time anymore. Oh yeah. This is definitely about a friendship. And I mean, even at the end of that last fight, she gets the upper hand on Jennifer by tearing off the necklace, which implies that she's no longer in awe of Jennifer, you know, and that Jennifer no longer has the power over her. Cause as I said earlier, it's a, it's a codependent friendship. It's, it's someone who is popular and outgoing um, and magnetic and someone else who is drawn to that, who is also now finally coming into her own and saying, I don't have to be, in your shadow. Yeah. I I mean, that was something I, I picked up right away was that she's, she'll always be thankful for Jennifer because she helped her kind of explore who she was and grow as a person. And I mean, I think the very on the nose, not as her gaining her powers afterwards, still being, still being needy, but gaining her powers. And I think it's just like, you know, for everything, even though our friendship ended, you still gave me the metaphorical slash physical power to be able to go do the things I've always wanted to do and to be a, a completely different person. And so I think that's rad. Um, feel bad for her for Chip because she really did love him and he was a good guy, but she's moving on. And Jennifer, you know, she, she was a good friend to a degree, but I think there were moments too where it did look like she was using needy and she wasn't the nicest person to her at times, but... 
they go back to the sandbox moment when they were little kids and they wanted to to be best friends. So, well, that shove during during the beginning when they were pushing each other, whatever the typhoon comment and everything, mm-hmm. um, that shove that she gave Needy, that was such good foreshadowing. Mm. I like that quick second of seriousness on Needy's face, like, oh, that actually hurt, and the fact that Jennifer had to have the last word. I just, I just loved that scene. Yeah, that friendship was already. Mm-hmm regardless of of what does end up happening that friendship was on its way to a probably pretty big falling out absolutely yeah they were at, they were just at two different points and i mean i i think that's why um you know i'll i'll even say to just jump into the next question to the most effective or favorite scene for you the the swimming pool scene um when chip dies was i think the best in it because first of all the set design was was awesome it looked like i was like what the hell? where are they it was like poison ivy's lair basically but just the fact that chip is getting attacked and needy is so selfless that she just like jumps in and she has to fight a literal demon but she doesn't care because she sees chip is in duress and just jumps in to go save him. And then, you know, he stabs her with the the pool cleaner. And even amidst all that, they're still just bickering at each other. But it's it's not some sort of heroic showdown. It's just two friends who are fed up with each other mm-hmm. that are fighting over a guy, pretty much. But it's it's not just about a guy. It's it's about a lot more. It's it's airing all their grievances because they all have that tipping point, and this was the tipping point. And I thought it was so well done. I'm a sucker for amazing practical effects, and I think the way that they they laid the blood on Jennifer was awesome. And then Needy just covered in that bile and stuff. Like that was like straight up Carrie Carrie level, you know, makeup design. It was awesome. I I was a fan of it, but I I think the pool scene was was my favorite in the movie because of just the culmination of everything. Plus, you get that funny tampon line, which I think was ridiculous, but like, I loved it. So what about y'all favorite scenes? I don't know if I have a specific favorite scene, but I think something that's really interesting to note is what happens to both characters when they become either fully demonically possessed or slightly demonic is that how they how it almost exacerbates the badder impulses that they already had. So what does Jennifer do? She uses the power she already knows she has over these teenage boys to kill them. Needy, on the other hand, who you already just mentioned, is more of a selfless person and has this kind of stronger, I think, sense of of right and wrong and justice. She takes it and goes, well, I'm going to go to, you know, what started this. I'm killing them. They deserve this. Yeah, I think my favorite scene was uh, the one you were mentioning before where they because you saw Needy's face in the window before Needy comes through. Jennifer knew she was coming. Yeah, knew it. And I think that I think she was ready to go, you know, like um, and then the the fact that when she rips off the necklace and the look on Jennifer's face and Mm -hmm. she just drops and everything, although I do have to the hands. Yeah, the hands. Yeah. Ah, oh, the hands. But I think my favorite line was probably at one when she's talking about, "Oh, I found all this in the occult section of our library." And yeah. He's like, we have an occult section in our library. Yeah, it's really small. I immediately, I was like, "How'd she get all these books that quick?" I'm like, "What, what kind of school is Devil Kettles?" But yeah. Or yeah, my school definitely did not have an occult section in our no. library. No, that was ridiculous. And the fact she was able to check it all out as like a 17-year-old girl or whatever. I'm like, what? Should this be like under lock and key? This and is... they weren't like, um, hey, something yeah. going on here. Do we need to talk? Yeah. Waiting for the Necronomicon to come out. So, 
Um, but yeah, like, so I, I pulled up the lines from that pool scene in it. So it, I, I just love the dialogue that they have, you know, she, she talks to her and she's like, so why do you want chip? Right. Is it just to tick me off or just because you're, you're just really insecure. And then Jennifer's like, I'm not insecure, needy God. That's a joke. How could I ever be insecure? I was the snowflake queen. And then he's <laughs> like, yeah, two years ago when you were socially relevant, she's like, I still am socially lax- relevant and didn't need laxative yep. to stay skinny. And then she's like, I'm going to eat your soul and shit it out. Let's <laughs> list Nikki. Got it. She's like, I thought you'd only murder boys. And she goes, I go both ways. That was in the trailer that I go both ways. And I'm like, oh, gosh, of course it was. But like it, it sucks because that steals away from such an awesome dialogue because they're back and forth. That's how friends are. We, we you know, we love each other, but we hate each other. And yeah, you were socially relevant two years ago. Right. So they give and they take and. I think that's what this comes down to is, is at the core of this movie, they're best friends and they're struggling to figure out everything that's going on in their adolescence and becoming an adult. These are their formative years. And so um, that's that's why I love that scene. But the, 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 I agree that the final fight scene, too, with them when she's levitating and it's like you almost don't stand a chance against her, but it doesn't matter. She's so pissed at Jennifer and comes in with that box knife swinging. So. She get she and does. Did you, it, did you hear what Jennifer says? You you uh, do you get all your weapons at Home Depot? You're yeah. so butch. <laughs> You're so yep. butch. That was ridiculous. And even her last name is Lesnicky. Lesnicky, yeah. There's no way that wasn't intentional. <laughs> definitely not. It's definitely yeah. Not cool. Okay. Well, so those are all the questions I have about Jennifer's body. And this is the segment that I like to do uh, just called Hottest Takes. So um, basically just defend and just choose one, your most controversial take on this movie um, or movies of this genre or actors or styles of this movie or whatever. Just your hottest take. And Amanda, how about we go with you first? I'm trying to think on this one because I feel like everything I've said is, is, you know, in my usual vein of, well, she's saying something all right. Um, so I don't know what my hot take is, to be perfectly honest. I don't think I have that one thing where I'm like, oh boy, that's, that's what she's gonna, that's her hill. So come back to me. Okay. Amy, what about you? Um, I guess my hottest take is the fact that this, this film, the the premise of it, the beginning of it is about how, uh, bands prey on young girls. And I felt like that was a huge, um, thing that kind of got, Cause it was, cause anybody could have decided we're going to sacrifice a virgin to whatever and everything, but they decided, no, we're going to use this, a band. And I just felt like that was such a social commentary of how they, there is such an issue with that, with them preying on young girls. There's got to be something. I think you're, you're, you're on the money with that because I think uh, Diablo Cody was definitely thinking about that as she was writing this. Um, I feel, feel like she had her finger on that pulse of that kind of, teenage girl you know um what do you want to say paradigm maybe but like with juno for example how you would deal with the teenage pregnancy so she probably understands a lot better especially back in 2009 so i i bet that was on purpose i think you're you're on the money with that so i'd love to like hear her describe what she was thinking when she was writing it that'd be great um so i don't know I, i i would say that my hottest take and this is just because this is specifically for an actor i can't stand chris pratt um, I, I, I don't like Chris Pratt. He's the worst. Um, and I don't I, either. I, it, it's just one of those things that like he's fine as Star, Star Lord and that was great. And he was good as Andy Dwyer, right? I, I'm not a Parks and Rec guy. Um, I'm an office guy, but I still think Parks and Rec is funny. Um, 
but then he like he got buff and whatnot for Guardians, and then it, everything got to his head, in my opinion, and he he started doing roles where he just wanted to be actionman.com and it, it, it didn't work for me. Um, and he just, he just kind of drives me crazy. I don't, I don't know what it is about him. He's just got a punchable face. I still, I still will see his movies at times, but there are so many when I'm like, all right, dude, I, you're, I'm just done with you. Um, so that's, that's my hot takes to, to see him in this movie for so brief. I was like, well, you might as well just not have a minute because he really didn't do anything to enhance the story. Um, you know, he didn't do anything to enhance it. It was, it was very odd. It was a very odd choice, but you know, whatever it's, it was small potatoes. He was not as famous as he was now. Um, I still just, I can't stand that freaking Chris Pratt for some reason. Everyone knows that about me too, though. I don't know why I just cannot stand him. So, (laughs) okay. I have a hot take. I got, I actually, I don't think Chip's such a nice guy. There are some things he does and says. I think he's kind of a dick. When When Needy is getting dressed to go to the concert, he says, I can see your front butt. And then she turns around and she's wearing, like, it's barely midriff showing. I wear much shorter shirts now. And he says, I can see your womb. Yeah, that was was such a weird. What? What? Who's? that and then he never believes her when she says things and yeah sure some of the things she does say are outlandish but it also goes to the whole idea of like women and hysteria and women saying things and not being believed and and you know a lot of this is definitely a metaphor for it could be a metaphor for also drug addiction and watching someone go down that path and not being able to do anything Mm. and then just saying hey someone's in trouble and it's like you're just seeing things. You're just going crazy. You're nuts. That's it. How about until how the very was- end? And I like. I really wanted her at the end to be like, "I told you. See, should have listened." How about how jealous he is of Colin, just giving her the smallest amount oh, of like yeah. attention. Yeah. yeah. And then as soon as Jennifer's like, "Yeah, she's cheating on you with Col- with Colin," he's like, "Oh yeah, obviously." And it's like, "No, sir. <laughs> no, she's not." Like Colin actually seemed like a better guy, but. But clearly the relationship that you maybe should feel a little weird about is the Jennifer one because it's not healthy. Yeah. And I guess, okay. Yeah, no, I see that. And and I it, they play it for laughs in the, in the part when they're having sex and she's she has the kind of visions of what Jennifer's doing to Colin. Um, oh, I love that. But she kind of screams a bit and he, he mistakes it as, oh, she really likes sex, right? She really likes what I'm doing to her. So he kind of has that smile. Um, I mean, I, I thought that that was funny, but seeing it from this different lens, I'm like, okay, yeah, actually, that is kind of a dick thing to do. Um, and yeah. Oh, I love that scene. That might be my favorite, the, the way that it's going back and forth between them having sex. And, and oh, God. That, because it is so much about, like, sex as violence mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and especially how a woman is flipping it back and using it. And there's... Okay, there's this book I'm obsessed with called Men, Women, and Chainsaws by a, a professor, Carol J. Clover. This is actually the book that coined the term Final Girl. Mm-hmm. Oh. And she has a whole thing on demonic possessions and who gets demonically possessed in movies. It's women, it's young boys, or it's like men who are made out to be more feminine. So it's inherently like a rape thing done to women or feminized characters. So I think that's really interesting using it in a movie like this. Mm. Okay. So Chip Chip is an asshole. That's what we've come down to. <laughs> yeah, I'm and- glad you said something because I was thinking like, <laughs> I was 
thinking the same thing. That's, I, that's my take. And like, and like him and him and Needy were broken up for like two seconds, and then he's already making out with Jennifer just by the advancement. I mean, he did kind of stop a little. Friend. Yeah, it was best friend, right? He did kind of stop, but still, he he went on with it. I'm like, okay, yeah, that is pretty skeezy, man. Admittedly, she did go pretty hard making out with Jennifer too, right after having sex with him. Yeah. yeah, but they were best friends. They was, See, 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 that goes uh, right back to the old, well, if it's two girls, it doesn't count. No, it counts, but I think <laughs> but I think they had a better relationship than than Chip. Chip was, I mean, he'd only known Jennifer for a couple of years, basically, but they'd known each other since they were kids. And so they can still be in sandbox. love. Is, you want your best friend, right? So, yeah, it's that sandbox. Um, okay, great. Uh, wonderful discussion. I'm so glad we got to talk about this movie. It's it's awesome that we could give it justice. I would love to see a Kusama cut. So <laughs> unleash this Kusama cut. Um, letter grade. Amy, what do you give Jennifer's body for a letter grade? A plus. Oh, holy crap. I love a this plus. movie. Okay. I love this movie. So are you going to buy it on like special edition 4K Blu-ray? I'm going to go look for the director's cut. I like, I, I yeah, really, I want, yeah, I want that. They do, they do have a director's cut. I, I want like an extended, whatever their original, no studio interference because marketing destroyed this movie. Uh, marketing Absolutely. was just about sex appeal and it was, it's terrible. I mean, there was, you know, that interview that I said um, in the trivia, they, they were so gross. And I mean, they did a test audience and somebody said, I want to see more boobs and they spelled boobs B E W B S and they still gave it to the studio execs. And I'm just like, Holy crap, man. (laughs) So the trailer that they cut was, you know, I go both ways, that kind of shit. And that's what they were banking on was, you know, frat boys going to see this movie. But, uh, and that was unfortunate for when it came out. But luckily uh, with the resurgence of, uh, you know, people who actually like to watch movies and then the Me Too movement and everything, um, people looked at this movie and were like, holy crap, it's actually really good. So I'm glad that they have that. But yeah, they have the director's cut. I'd love to see maybe what uh, Diablo Cody and Karen Kusama were originally thinking for, for all of it without any studio interference. That would be cool. Yeah. The pacing's so good in this movie. It like, really it's, is. It keeps you engaged the entire time. It's campy and silly, but it's not... It, I mean, it's a little outlandish, but it's not so outlandish that it pulls you out of it too much. You know what I mean? It I was mean, Yeah, it jumps right into the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a demonic possession movie, so it's like it's going to be campy, right? And it's going to have some of that that you have to suspend disbelief. But like, it's nothing that I'm they're not going to hell or anything or it's nothing (laughs) weird. She's not wearing skin. It's it's not the sequels to Hellraiser. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know. Right. Um, Yeah, I actually do kind of really enjoy the first Hellraiser movie, to be perfectly honest. It's pretty. It's pretty dark. I remember watching it's it wild. as a kid, and it, it kind of ruined me. So but you the, watched it as like, why would you? That's like the weirdest kinky movie. I didn't get it. I would just. I just didn't like the hooks. So <laughs> yeah, I didn't get it. But um, I. I like it as an adult now. So I guess we'll say that. <laughs> but okay, A plus for Amy. Amanda, what do you give Jennifer's body? Okay, I really also want to see the director's cut and know what it would have been without studio involvement because i do think there's still some room for improvement so i'm going to go a minus okay cool and i'm going to go b plus um i i really really enjoyed this movie and i still think you know b plus is still nothing to to bad an eye at it's 88 percent, 89 percent um i loved it i also agree with amanda there is some room for improvement there were moments like again with jk i almost called him jk rowling jk simmons <sighs> what what was 
like, was it going to pay off? I was waiting for him to do something yeah. or like something to explain his hook hand or maybe he was part of low shoulder or like, you know, I, I wanted to see something like that. Um, and then I really, really wanted Jennifer to get revenge on low shoulder because they deserve to just get murdered. But mm-hmm. it was cool to see Needy do it, but it still felt a little cheapened. And I think that was one of my big problems. I want to see them get tortured. Yeah. I, I don't, I want to see them lose everything. I want people to hate them. And I, I actually, there was a moment where I was like partway through it. I was like, okay. I'm not going to get that out of this movie. I need to stop thinking about that because I know that is something that might make me angry because especially just the world that we live in right now, like I want to see them pay. And I know what that I'm not really going to get that. And that's okay. So focus on what it, what it actually is and not what you're kind of hoping to get out of that. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So what are you, what are you working on, Amy? Go ahead and uh, give us a, Give us some info on what you're working on and where we can find you on socials and talk about the festival. Yeah, um, well, I'm, you know, it's close to the festival, so that's what I'm working on and has taken over my life. Um, <laughs> but it's an international film festival. Uh, we have films from all over the world. We're taking place the first weekend of August. The cool thing is, is the community really gets involved. So a lot of the local businesses all have discounts and like specials for anybody who attends the film festival. We have a lot of filmmakers attending and we have a lot of local filmmakers this year. So I'm really excited because I'm pretty sure almost all of our Q&As have have representatives there. So that's going to be really cool. So, you know, you know, like today when we watched the film and we were like, man, I wish I could ask the director this or I could know where this was going or why they did this. You can actually do that with us. You can actually come and ask the director or the producer or the actor what they what made them make that decision. So it's really fun. we have a ton I'm really excited about. So yeah, that's, um, that's, we've got, um, oh, we're on Facebook and Instagram um, under West Sound Film Festival. And right after the film festival, we'll be reopening for next year's submissions. So yeah, it's incredible. And um, we're showing perfectly, but good moment. And we're <laughs> really excited that, about that one. Yeah, it's a fantastic film. I I love that film. It's very, very well done. <laughs> Thank you. So, yeah, I believe we're showing that. Um, let me check my notes, but I believe that's on Friday, right? I think it's Saturday night. Oh, it's Saturday night. It is Saturday. Oh, you're, wow. you're absolutely yeah, right. Yeah, pretty prime. Yeah, yep. we got you for Saturday night. And, um, yeah, they're actually, um, we, we've got your trailer playing at C-Film. And, oh, um, oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And we actually had a couple people like come out. I was there for another movie and somebody came out and was, I overheard them talking about that trailer. So I thought that that was really cool. I wanted to share that with you. Oh my God. That is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So yeah. Yeah. It's at 8, 10 PM at C film on, uh, on Saturday, August 5th. All right. Yeah. That's perfect. Good perfectly good moment. So West Sound Film Festival is August 4th through 6th of 2023 Bremerton Washington beautiful Bremerton you can drive or you can take the boat I like the boat but that is awesome and I'm a, I'm a sucker for a film festival I have not seen perfectly good moment yet because I haven't had a chance to and this unfortunately I'm gonna be out of town and I'm, I'm <laughs> bummed because when Amanda messaged me and said I was like no <laughs> why summer why so um Amanda where uh, what are you working on where can we find your socials um, I just wrapped a film actually that shot all of June. Um, and that's an edit now. It's called The Narrows. I was a script supervisor on that actually. Um, and then I, I just like 
a week or so ago got back from Vegas. Um, as I said, I went to a spa. It was lovely. I am at Amanda Jane Stern on all of the social handles. Um, and right now I am, I don't know, I'm waiting to see if there's a strike. That's what I'm waiting for. So, and I think there will be. So <laughs> I will be on picket lines probably in the near future. Well, there we go. Yeah. Um, oh man, thank you so much for joining the show. Uh, both of you, this is awesome. I love having conversations like this, especially Amy, you know, uh, for coming on here, you know, we don't know each other. It's our first time meeting and it's so awesome to have insight like yours. Um, again, I was never a teenage girl, so I, I didn't know how to act in high school with other teenage girls. And I love to see that depicted on film. And I am a supporter of female directors and producers and anyone in the in industry. So um, I was very happy to finally be able to do Jennifer's Body and do it justice, I think, in my opinion. Heck yeah. So thank you so much for, for coming on. And I'd love to have you any other time you want. So just let oh, me know. Thank you for having me. I'd love to be on again. Cool. It's Amanda, always, always yeah. great seeing you as well. <laughs> and we, we, we will do, you know, we'll go crazy for Swayze and do a little roadhouse one oh of these God, days. Oh my God, let's do a Swayze month. A Swayze month. What? We should do a Swayze month. Ghost. Uh, I have so much to Roadhouse. say about Swayze. Ghost, Roadhouse, Tu Wong Fu. Oh, I love Tu Wong Fu. I have so much to say about it. Chichi Gonzalez, Chichi Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. Oh man, that movie's so good. So much to say about Swayze. We'd have Swayze to do September. We'd have to do like an outlier for the fourth one. It'd have to be like just a really weird Swayze movie. Yes. I don't know what. It oh, would be. there definitely are a few. I mean, he didn't do that many, but there's definitely one that that people would be like, "Okay, why'd you pick that?" Oh, we should do Point Break. I love Point Break. Oh yeah, we'd have to do Point Break, and I have some hot takes on Point Break. Oh, I love Point Break. I have hot takes so on Point good. Break. Oh, Do you know there's so a remake? Good. Yeah, it's not good. It's like of a, course it's a, not. It's like a GoPro <laughs> commercial, but well, if you were gonna remake it, you'd have to like actually up the gayness and not make it subtext. That's I know. the only way you could remake it. Real, they Which, really need let's to. Let's face yeah. it, Swayze would have done because Swayze was game. Yeah, and uh, I mean, he was he was great. He was Bodie. It's a um, great okay. game. Bodie Zaffa. Oh, yeah. Let's take us out of here. Uh, lots of fun. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Remember to follow us on Twitter and threads at DBCrazyPod and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts, give film suggestions, tell us if we're crazy, or just send funny memes or pictures or videos or whatever, because I like to laugh. Make sure you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And if you like it, leave us a five-star review. Additionally, we're also available on every other major podcast app. Thank you for listening. And until next time, don't be crazy.